this isn't a family curse that affects my family, but rather one of my friends. Every year on May 25th, all of his family gathers in one of their homes and spends the next 24 hours in the same room together. Nobody ever leaves until midnight, and nobody ever leaves the eyeshot of another family member. They don't sleep either. They just spend their time eating and talking, waiting the day out. If one of them needs to go to the bathroom, they all go in groups and keep each other in their sights. When my friend and his sibling were kids, they thought this was some sort of family tradition that every family took part in. As they got older, their mother let them know that there was a much more sinister reason why they did this. For as long as the family on the other side could remember, every year on the 25th of May, one of their relatives would go missing. In the past, this seemed to happen without fail. Some would eventually turn up dead, but some for the most part just disappeared, never to be seen or heard from again. It could be any one of the blood relatives that could go missing on that day. A cousin, an uncle, an aunt. As long as they shed blood from that side of the family, they were at risk of vanishing, at risk of falling victim to the family curse. Generations ago, when their family started to notice a pattern emerging, the various different households created a system of coming together on the same day every year. By keeping an eye on each other, nobody was ever going to vanish into thin air. In the years when everyone in the family stuck to the plan, it worked and nobody would ever go missing. This had apparently been going on in the family for centuries, or before any living family member could remember at least. Everyone would just come together and wait the day out. Occasionally a cousin or someone would decide that the whole family curse thing was hogwash and go off to do something by themselves. If they spent any of May 25th alone, even just like driving somewhere or going to the bathroom by themselves, then it was going to be their year to take the bullet. One year my friend's second cousin Tony ignored the family ritual and went off to see some concert with some friends instead. Three weeks later, they found his body at the side of the motorway. He had lost control of his car and crashed into a tree. Took people ages to find him for some reason. According to my friend, two other family members had gone missing in his lifetime alone. He has no idea what happened to them. Nobody in the family does. Whatever you make of this story, I think it's pretty interesting. And I know for a fact that my friend and his family still have these gatherings every year. They don't spend one minute of that particular day out of eyeshot. And if the story is true, I can't say I blame them. Number two. I live in England in an old beautiful cottage that's been in my family since my great-grandfather bought it all those years ago. Prior to him, my ancestors had all been really poor and could scarcely afford to put a roof on their heads. The story goes that when my grandfather was young, great-grandfather instead, was young, he set off by himself up to Scotland. Several years later, he returned a rich man and was able to buy the family cottage. He never spoke about how he came across his fortune. Well, he did, but not definitively. 
The story always kept changing. One day he might tell you that it was from a business venture, and then another day he might tell you that he got lucky gambling, and then another day he might tell you that he got a pact with the gypsy. There were so many different answers that he gave that eventually people just had to stop asking him altogether. Perhaps he came across the money illegally, they thought, and that's the reason why he kept avoiding answering that question. My family at that time couldn't have cared less, because honestly, they couldn't complain. They could finally eat, drink, and buy whatever they wanted, and didn't have to scrounge to make their ends meet. Anyway, over the generations, the money that my great grandfather accumulated was added, and now till this day, we remain quite well off. The problem is, money wasn't all that my ambitious grandfather had brought from the northern border. You see, after some time from buying the cottage, at a still young age of 29, he suddenly lost his sanity. That is to say, he went completely insane overnight. He started complaining about a thin red man that kept following him. We know this from the journal that my great-grandfather kept. According to him, the thing, for lack of a better word, was a bony, emaciated humanoid with sunken eye sockets and paper-thin lips that didn't fully cover its teeth. It didn't wear any clothes either. It was just completely red, like it was constantly bleeding all over, like a human man that had been stripped from all of his skin. He said that he could see it watching him wherever he went, climbing on walls and ceilings. The last entry talks about the thing that kept whispering while he slept, that it kept him up all night, and how he couldn't take it anymore. The next day, he took his hunting rifle and shot himself in the head, leaving his wife and young son, my grandfather, alone. Time goes by and my grandfather Winston grows up to be a successful businessman, just like his father. Before his ripe age of 29, he found a wife and had a few children at a very young age. The oldest of these was a son, my father. Unfortunately, like his father again, my grandfather also lost his mind exactly 10 years later down the line. My grandfather at the age of 39 started screaming about being followed by a red figure. He said that the thin creature stalked him and would appear out of the blue when he least expected it. He handled the hallucinations better than my great-grandfather. For all purposes, life went on for him, but sadly the hallucinations persisted and got worse over time. According to my grandmother, he used to say that the thin red man wouldn't leave him alone anymore. Finally, ten long years later, after becoming ill, he was found dead in the pond in the family estate. According to the reporters, my grandfather had been sleepwalking and somehow managed to unconsciously make it to the pond and fell inside. And for whatever reason, he didn't wake up and drowned in the water. I never met either of those men. They both died before I was born, obviously. I've only ever read my great-grandfather's journals and listened to stories of my grandfather. My own father, however, 
I of course knew very well. And this story is what haunts me the most. Like his father and his father before him, he met a girl at a very young age and had a family. I was the eldest of his children. I'm grateful that I got to know my father growing up. He was a kind man, funny too, and very smart. He always took care of my mother and my siblings. Our youths were amazing. But when my father turned 49, I noticed that something wasn't right at home. He and my mother kept his mental health condition a secret from us youngsters, but eventually the truth had to slip out. While home alone, my dad broke into sweats and started telling me that he was seeing the thin red man again. This was the first time I'd ever hear someone telling me about seeing the creature firsthand. He said it just like how it had been described in the journal. Stuff of nightmares, thin, tall and bony. He often saw it late at night while in bed, crawling across the ceiling of the bedroom, twisting its head backwards to look at him. My father held it for a little over a year, suffering from constant night terrors, which over time became day and night terrors. Things seemed to get worse and worse and no amount of medical attention seemed to do a thing. Eventually, he took his own life. I don't want to go into details about that, but it was definitely deliberate. I miss him greatly. We all do. As it stands, I'm 26 years old. I met a girl whilst away at a university, and the two of us are currently planning our wedding. She wants to start a family and to, own, and to be honest, so do I. According to what I've seen, this creature only affects men in our family, especially the firstborn. And like I said, I'm my family's firstborn son. I'd be lying to say that I'm not afraid of the creature. I just hope that I never get to meet the thin red man. And for the sake of our first future baby, I really hope it's a girl. Number 3. I grew up in Ohio in the 70s with my childhood friend Joe. Joe lived on a farm that bordered a pretty big forest that my parents would drop me off in the morning. Every weekend we would stay in the woods all day because we loved pretending that we were frontiersmen. We'd build shelters, traps, practice making fire with sticks, everything in those whole nine yards. When we got to be in high school, we got this notion to play Stand By Me. This was based on the movie of the same name that had just come out. The idea was that we walked down the railroad tracks out into the country, but instead of looking for a dead body, we'd find cool bridges to fish from and camp a little ways off the tracks. Of course we knew this was dangerous and we'd likely be trespassing, but we were kids. We had a lot of fun. We did find beautiful rivers, discovered bridges that no one went to, and we hid from so many trains. At night we camped in the woods just near the tracks and made small hidden fires. Nothing bad ever happened. It was idyllic. In fact, it was so fun that we did come back multiple times and never had a problem. 
After high school, me and Joe went our own ways. We both left home, but always stayed in touch and always tried to coordinate visits so we'd see each other occasionally. Well, one summer in the mid-90s, it worked out that the both of us were in the same town for about a week. We'd do stuff with family in the day and at night we'd catch drinks at the bar or sit outside Joe's house around the fire and talk about food and the good old days. One night I got up to talking about the standby me trips and well, nostalgia and beer are a hell of a mix. So we soon decided to take a day, walk the trails, camp one night in those woods and then walk back home. The day came and it started out early in the morning. Me and my wife dropped us at our old spot and, well, yeah, before pulling up she thought that we were absolutely crazy and she thoroughly stressed the point. When she pulled away, Joe suggested that instead of walking down the usual route, we take the opposite direction just to be more adventurous. I mean, we knew the land well and we had a map, so I gave her what the hell and off we set. The day went fine. It was fun and a little sad, but in a good way. We found a bridge, sat on the edge, smoked a joint and moved on. We had no fishing gear, but we brought some canned food and other stuff. Before night started to set in, we picked a spot to camp it was a really thick forested area with trees on every side of the train tracks. So you felt like you were in a tunnel. We had brought small hammocks to help us to sleep in. But before we decided to put it up, we decided to do a small little scouting of the perimeter. Now, this is what we used to do back in the good old days as well. We'd walk the area around a little bit just to make sure that there was no dude staying on top of the hill so that we weren't camping in his yard. We walked maybe a hundred feet or so into the woods and up a small incline. We figured that if we didn't see anything on top of this incline, it would be totally fine. But when we got to the top, we saw an old building down at the bottom about a hundred yards into the woods and it was barely visible. We pondered over what to do we both assumed it was a sugar shack or something because there didn't appear to be a clear road into it. From where we were, it didn't seem to look like there was anyone either. All that was there was quietness and then no movement. Neither was there any lights or any plain roads towards it. We decided to walk a little closer just to make sure. We came down the hill very slowly and as we neared the building we saw that it wasn't a sugar shack at all. It was an old church. It looked like it had been abandoned for years. The wooden planks were almost black from years of moss and rot. A cross still stood on the top of the place, also weathered in black. None of the windows had glass and there were no doors, just open doorways. We got close enough to see the inside. There were rows of pews and a built-up section in front of the preacher to stand. We didn't go all the way in. I mean, we didn't want to. Beyond all that, there was no sign of anyone else. No footprints, no paths, no roads. It was just an abandoned church. We left immediately and went back up the hill to a spot that we had decided to camp. Having a hill between
between us and the church made us feel better, but we were still pretty uneasy. We chalked it up to being nervous because of the natural creepiness of the woods and the church in the middle of nowhere. At this point it was dusk and we decided to rig up our hammocks, go to sleep and move up early in the morning. Night set in and as we lay in our hammocks, we began to hear something in the direction of the church. I looked over to Joe and our conversation went something like this. Do you hear that? What the hell is that? Sounds like people singing. And it did sound just like people singing. We both slid right out of our hammocks and hunkered down, straining to hear more. We listened for about a minute or two and the singing continued, but it wasn't getting louder. Finally, we decided to creep back up the hill and see if we could spy where the sound was coming from. We could still move very quietly in the woods from the old days. I mean, it was second nature to us, so we had that advantage. The moon was barely out, but it provided enough light so you wouldn't walk right into a tree. But it was still about bare pitch black. We didn't use the flashlights as we crept slowly up the hill and didn't talk to each other until we reached the top. We saw light in the distance and it was coming from the church and the singing was coming from inside. Joe and I put our heads close to each other and had a hushed conversation that boiled down to Can you believe this shit? The light looked to be a candlelight from the way it flickered and though we tried, we couldn't make out what was being sung. It sounded like church music but in another language. We sat and watched for a while trying to see who was there, but we only saw occasional shadows. We had no intention of getting closer either. We had about a football length between us and we aimed to keep it in that way. The singing went on for a bit and then it just stopped. After that a very loud male voice began to chant. I was already freaked out by this voice and now this thoroughly scared the hell out of me. It sounded like some Old Testament kind of preacher that you see from the movies. But again, it was like he was speaking in a totally different language. Because we couldn't understand a single word that he was saying. Eventually it got to where the single male voice would say something and then a bunch of voices would answer in songs. This lasted for a while and then they broke into long sustained wails that had just kept going and then just kept getting louder and louder. It got so loud and so disturbing that it, that I had to cover my ears and my eyes. Then it stopped at this point. I was getting ready to say let's get the hell out of here. When my friend put his hand on my shoulder and hissed, they're coming out. We were far enough away that we couldn't make them out really well. But we could see that there were a line of figures that walked out of the open doorway, all holding up torches in a single file. They began to sing again and again, and the light from the torch began to move towards us. We booked it back down our campsite, grabbed our shed and ran to the tracks. Once we ran down the tracks in the direction we had come from, after a few minutes we stopped and looked back. We saw the lights coming down the hill. They were moving erratically, like whoever was holding them was just shaking them. 
We continued to run in spurts and walk as fast as we could. Eventually we stopped seeing the lights and we came down to a road. By our map we knew that there was a small town about 15 minutes down. We walked there and made it to a 24 hour gas station. And I called my wife to come and get us. My wife and all my friends thought that it was some kids playing around or something. But I heard those voices. And they sure as hell didn't sound like kids to me. I'm not sure who those people were. And I'm not sure whether I want to know. But this was indeed one of the most creepiest things that ever happened to me. Deep down in the woods.